actually reminds me a lot of him. He um he said that he really enjoys like the early episodes where it would just come in on us talking. Uh huh. It's still isn't that's not what it does anymore. I don't know. I feel like now there's like an intro, maybe or like a moment, like a beat of. I guess it's more of a. I guess it definitely is more of a. I just now I just start it whenever we start talking instead of we're talking. You, I think what I did before is we were talking and then it would come in, and sometimes I would have edited out the stuff. Right, it's like mid conversation. And it seems like you're already doing that. I wonder, I was like, I wonder if we could do that again for our single biggest listener. Uh, but no promises. Okay. <laughs> so how's, uh, how's school going for the girls? It seems to be going okay. Uh, Charlotte, I think it's fine. And Sophia... Today she was like, yesterday she was like, yeah, because yesterday was the first day. Mm-hmm. And she was like, uh, my teacher yelled a lot. I'm Ooh. like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, because people were being loud and talking. And sort of like, oh, okay. And I'm just thinking, first day, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, we met the teacher, right? She seems nice enough, whatever. <laughs> but then today she's like, yeah, my teacher yells a lot. <laughs> it's like, okay, this might be a rough one for, for self. Right. And this is first grade. Yeah, it's right? only first so this grade. This is like, welcome to real school where adults yell a lot. Right. Yeah. You've run into your first teacher who's at the end of her rope. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it's hard with Indy because he seems guarded in a weird way. Uh-huh. Um, and it's one of those things where you're like, you, you don't know if you're getting the full story. You feel like there's more there, but your child is like, nope, there's nothing. But in other little ways, there are signals that you're picking up on. So like last night, well, Elise picked him up and was like, how's your day? She said, all he did was like go ding with the thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Great, right? And so I came home. I was like, how's your day? You did the same thing to me. Ding. And then that night when we were getting ready for bed, I was like, so did you, you know, see your friends? And he's like, no. And I was like, do you have any friends? He's like, not really. I was like, so, I mean, did you see anybody who you were like happy to see? And then he names like eight people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So so there's eight people so we're good then are you good uh and then we watched an episode of steven universe um before we read um a book and in steven universe there's like two characters talking and one of them is like do you ever get lonely even when you're around a lot of people and another character like nods and Indy is like vigorously nodding along with it, like just sure, like totally enraptured in the moment. Like you can see, he's like totally identifying with this. I was like, oh no! So I, after the episode, I was like, Indy, do you get lonely sometimes even when you're around people? He's like, yeah. And I was like, 
So, I mean, do you have a good time at school? He's like, yeah, great. And so I just have to be like, I don't know. Right. I don't know what's going on. I mean, he seems to be fine. It's like our kids, just, I guess, are always going to be a mystery. Right. Especially as they, like, get older and start, you know, kind of becoming their own people. Mm. But, I mean, like, in the end, Indy is still just, like, sweet and ha- a sweet, happy kid. Yeah. So, it's like, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're like, how does a parent not know what's going on with their kid or whatever? And I'm starting to realize, like, eh, it seems like it's kind of easy. Yeah. Like, I talk to him. We have a great relationship. And I still feel like either he doesn't know how to express what's going on or I'm reading way into right. this. Well, I think there's a part of it, too, to where, at least for me, where it's like, and I don't have to deal with that stuff so much yet. But there is a part where I don't want to, like, push it. Right. And, like, make it an issue. If it's not an issue, you know, kids are savvy about that stuff too. Like, it's like, I feel like even when he was younger, he knew when you asked him a question, like if there's an ulterior motive, right. You know, and it's like kids will just clam up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like manifest this thing or or, or even create this thing where it's like, Hey, you know that you can sort of, uh, get attention by doing this or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or like, yeah. Or, or, or even bring to life like this, this revelation of like, oh, this is not supposed to be this way. And like, mm-hmm. then you've, now you've got some sort of complex. Yeah. It's strange. It's strange, man. So just trying to be like, he'll tell me if anything is really bad. Right. But I mean, even when he was younger, sometimes like the bullying that he faced came out in like weird ways, yeah. you know? And, uh, but I mean, he would, Tell me about it. So I keep saying, like, if something bothers him enough, he'll he'll vocalize it. Right. But I'm also I I realize like I'm an anxious person that way. If I feel like there's something between me and somebody, like I want that out and resolved. Mm-hmm. So, Indy, cry. You'll make me feel better. Just cry and tell me something's wrong, and I'll hug you. I'll make you feel better, and then right. I'll feel good. Yeah. Um. I had a big moment at work today. Big. I did something really bad. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. I was tasked with making a change to a database. And we work mainly with like universities, libraries, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the bigger clients right mm. i'm looking at about 85 to 86,000 records and this update is very it's like as introductory as you can get right bare bones super simple stuff i'm not deleting any records i'm not moving any records all i'm doing is i'm literally creating a statement to remove blank spaces at the end of um, some field entries, mm-hmm. very, very simple stuff, but I'm also like, it's my f- still like six, six weeks. I've been at the job. It's a, f- it's before a weekend. It's before a holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, half the people have already gone home cause it's in the afternoon. So all I'm imagining is 
me being, oh, this is easy, da 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 da, and then hit enter, and then it's like, oh, you've done something really stupid. I'm like, well, do I want to do that on the Friday afternoon before holiday weekend? I'm like, kind of sitting there, like, I feel like it would be smart to just wait until Tuesday, get somebody's input, but at the same time, it's my job to know how to do this stuff. So eventually, I just go, th- I just do it, right? Mm-hmm. No problems. Like I said, it was very simple. I was just way overthinking it. I did it. It did exactly what I was expecting it to do. It did not fix my larger problem, but it did what I was expecting it to do. So then come today, I talked with one of the developers and he's like, uh, after I did that, we're like trying to problem solve a little bit more. He's like, okay, so this looks like this might be a little bit bigger problem. So you're going to need to expand your cleanup basically to all the data they have in their database, not just this one specific field, right? Maybe that's what's causing the error. So I'm like going back and forth between all these different tickets I'm trying to solve. I jump back to this thing. I'm like, okay, let me change this thing. So I'm, I was updating the status before. You, you, you maybe you're familiar with this. You work with college students. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their like records in the system, right? They've got like what, uh, or maybe this is for staff. So they've got like what department they belong to and then their status, which I believe is like the status of their degree or education. Maybe I'm not totally sure. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so the initial thing I ran was glad to, you're not totally sure right. what <laughs> records. <you're>, yeah. <laughs> right. The initial thing I ran was to clean up their status, right? Uh-huh. Hop back over to my query. I update it to change to clean up the department, hop back and forth to another ticket, do, do whatever, go back to the query. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, hit run. And I go <laughs> look at the results. And, and I hit run and I see 86,000 some records affected. So I'm like, okay, that worked. Go rerun my query to look at all the results. And I'm getting like a one-to-one matchup now between department and status. And I, as soon as I saw it, my heart sank. I was like, Ugh. I was like, okay, this doesn't look right. Let me go run these reports, which were giving the original problem. I go run the reports. Good news. Reports run flawlessly. No problem in the reports. That was the initial problem. So like, okay, great. Our, run a couple more reports, make sure I'm doing it, make sure that it's not just like an anomaly or whatever. And then I start looking at the actual data in the reports. I'm like, hmm, this data looks really wrong. <laughs> Does not make a lot of sense. I'm seeing like 100% for basically everything. <laughs> so I hop back to my query and then I look and I see that. I see basically instead of updating the department, to remove those extra white spaces, mm-hmm. I set the department, all the department fields, to replace with all of the new status fields. So now there's just two. Basically, everyone's department is now their status, which is obviously very wrong. Right. Um, and it ended up being like not a huge deal. I mean, it's kind of like the cardinal sin, right? Because I just screwed up this huge university's entire database for two hours. Yeah. But 
And of course, the entire time my boss is in like a meeting, I still haven't talked to him. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't think it's a big deal. Obviously, it got fixed, got cleaned up after two hours, and everything is completely back to normal now. Um, but it still is one of those things where it's like, man, that's a really, really big screw up. And now I'm like, and today was like the first day, strangely enough, that I wasn't having any sort of like, a strange anxiety things. And then I did that and it was like, it was all back. It was, it was, it wasn't back actually. Oh, okay, it wasn't okay. back until I started telling Julie about it when I got home. Oh, <clears throat> so right now, do, so your boss basically out of the meeting, all he may have known was, Hey, we had this issue. It it's fixed. It's resolved. Yeah. Or he got out of the meeting and it was like, Hey, this thing is screwed up. We're still trying to fix it. No, I mean, I'm sure he knows about it. I'm not sure what he, where he was at actually, but, but I, as soon as it happened, I mean, literally the first thought in my head was maybe I'll just leave this be and nobody will notice it. <laughs> and then I hop back over the thing. I'm like 86,000 records. I'm like, okay, that is going to be noticed. Right. So as soon as it happened, I messaged the senior developer, the guy who I'd been working with on the ticket. I was like, Hey, uh, I made a really bad mistake. Um, and so he walked me through and he's like, okay, so, so get in contact with the hosting people and they will get you a backup copy of the database. Cause of course we've got backups of everything. So we had a backup from like an hour earlier. So it was mm-hmm. like, it was ultimately not a big deal. Right. Like I said, it was, it was screwed up for about two hours, maybe a, a little bit less. Um, and then I got the restored data in there and it's not like we lost anything either. Cause we're able to like keep all the new stuff that was added in that interim. But it, it just is one of those things that's just like, man, this is. And did, did you then, were you able to like carry out your task or did you have to turn over somebody else? Oh, who... no, I mean, I'm still on that ticket, but okay. I was done for the rest of the day. Right. I, I had to go take a walk I had to sit outside by myself and contemplate my life for about 15 minutes. I was done. I could not right. concentrate. Right. I tried to go back and like look at the queries again and, and I just could, I couldn't do it. Couldn't I, do I it. had to I had to leave it for the day. There's like some other little stuff that I handled and answered, but for the most part after that I was you know, you, you you had your big uh turn at the plate and you you whiffed it. Yeah, I screwed and it then up. you're like Bench me, coach. Yeah. Um, I'm done for today's game. Well, that's not even the thing. I did it right the first time, right? Oh, when you... no one was even watching. Okay. Because I got it right on that day before the weekend. And uh... I was like so happy with myself. And then, of course, when I go to do it again, I'm just like com- being completely absent-minded about it. And I screw it up. Oh, well. I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, you, it's, it's like first, uh, you know, first screw up jitters. I mean... I remember the first time a student threatened to sue me. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't the student, it was the father. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I, I remember just being like, well, this is it for me. Like, I'm right. done with this career right. and I'm done personally. He's going to sue me into oblivion. And uh, when I talked to my boss, they were like, okay, here's to the extent that you screwed up. You're not getting sued. We're going to fix, you know, this, but everybody in our business, you know, gets threatened to be sued 
Yeah. At one point. Right. Or yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, like, and then, and then you realize, like, you know, then you can contextualize it. Like, had your story been, then, you know, this other guy came over, he's like, what did you do? And he right. was like, go take a lap. And then they all fixed it. Right. And other people aren't like, then it's like, it's probably like, oh, yikes. But it sounds to me like it was like, yeah, hey, this is why we have backups, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I, I agree. Logically, I don't think it's a huge deal. And it's also, I'm, I keep trying to remind myself, it's not like I messed up doing something that I just had no idea right. what I was doing. Yeah. I just was being absent-minded, which doesn't, it's not better necessarily, but it's it understandable. Right. Yeah. We're people. But at the same time, there is still a big part of me that is expecting to walk into work tomorrow morning and for my boss to be like, hey, come on in. Uh, yeah, go ahead and close the door. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And be like, yeah. hey, listen, I know it's a mistake, but yeah, it's not going to work. Dude, that, that's the other thing is like, you know, you have fears like that. And then as you get to know people and know their rhythms or whatever, you realize like it's easier just to keep him where he is. And, you know, if he doesn't screw too much stuff up. Right. You know what I mean? There's so many people at my job who I'm like, they're employed. Like, right. good God, I, I should be able to just be like, you know, what? I'm not coming to work this whole month. Deal with it. I'll yeah. see you next month. And if they're still working, then I'm still working. You know what I mean? Right. So it'll be fine. But it's funny that you mentioned that story because it's, it's like exactly how I feel like with it. Like right now, I feel like there is some unfinished business out yeah. there in the universe that needs to be set right. I also have like a text out to my my parents. I was just like, hey, checking up, gave him an update. My mom got promotion, I guess, on her job. Just, mm. hey, congratulations. Nothing. Crickets <laughs> back. And it's like, I know this is like, they're not on their, you know, phones yeah. or whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, what did I do? Right. What did they, they read? What yeah. they, you know what I mean? Like, I just can't feel comfortable about yeah. it. But. No. That's, that's what I liked about being a groundskeeper so much. Right. That's what I like about that job about even this job now that I like so much, it's the same thing where it's like, I've got 10 different things I could do when I go into work tomorrow and they're not going to be resolved tomorrow. I don't know when they're going to be resolved. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm cutting grass, go to the school, I cut the grass. I don't have to think about it again for two weeks. There's still more work for me right. to do when I go in, but it's not like, and you drive away and you look at that fresh cut grass. Exactly. You're like, that looks really good. Right. I like looking at that. Yeah, when I was a kid, I remember my dad used to hate. He 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 actually cared about lawns, his mm. his lawn, I should say, and so he would like not let me set it below, you know, on those old mm -hmm. school uh, mowers. He wouldn't let me set it below like three, I like the right. five settings, and I would just always, as soon as he'd leave me alone, just be like, down to two right. would be my compromise for him so you can go longer in between cuttings no, well not just longer but i i want to see the full effect of my work like <laughs> right. i want to look back and sure. just see like a military right. cut lawn i don't want to look and see like that's a that's a loose inch up yeah. there you know and it looks or within two days it's like right yeah that's already overgrown right no i want this to like and i wouldn't care if i'd have to do it two days later that feeling of like looking at that freshly mowed lawn, mm -hmm. there's just something deeply satisfying about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, my dad was the same way. You can't cut it too short. And he did this to me all the time. There was always like a period during the summer 
where our entire backyard, the grass just died. It was completely dead. And I still had to, had mow, to mow it every week. I had to mow the grass and to the point where it's like, it's dead. It's literally not growing. Right. I'm just running a live lawnmower over grass and it's cutting absolutely nothing. Right. Once a week. Just kicking dirt up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I put on the docket. I don't know if you got a chance to look in between. Yeah, briefly. That's the your, other thing, too, your, about your this job. Day. I did not truly appreciate how much free time free I time. had working at yeah. home two days out of the week. Because I have no time to do anything now. And even, and this is something that I feel like will get, will resolve itself as I get more comfortable and in more of a routine. But, like, with my old job, I could bring the laptop in mm-hmm. and edit the podcast and do my work, and I, I can't do that. I can't happening. do that yet because yeah. I'm still trying to learn stuff, and I'm still – so now I'm, like, if I'm going to edit the podcast, I have to save it for, like, Saturday or Sunday, but I, then I don't want to do it on Saturday and Sunday because I'm just being lazy on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so I had an experience. That made me think if I ever did another like open mic night, I would build it around this experience. And so I was going to try it out on you tonight. Sure. But I feel like there is an element in like um, talking from strangers that makes it a lot easier to say things. Um, Yes. Yeah, because you like you don't care about being decontextualized because everything you say, right? It's, they don't know you. Versus, like, if anybody I know listens to this, the details of it. Um, now that I'm reflecting back, I'm like, <laughs> do I want these recorded for all time? Again, right. I would, I would do this. I would still do this as a stand-up set, but on a podcast. Um, I, I, I am now getting cold feet. Okay, but I still want to tell you about what happened okay so i don't want to create work for you so i don't know if you want me to tell it and then you we can edit this out if i don't feel comfortable or if you yeah, i mean that's not a lot of work that's just that's easy it's just it's just the whole process of editing putting in the music editing in all the music and then going through and putting all the tags on the website and all that stuff that's the whole process okay so I figured I would uh, do a real-time processing of this experience that as soon as it happened made me think like, oh, this is, this is a stand-up joke. Okay. Um, so the other night I had an experience that like legitimately made me stop and consider if I'm a good person. Uh-huh. Like I do consider myself like a good person, right? right. Um, by I was getting into my shower and I saw a spider up above um, the bathtub. And so I took a shampoo bottle. I just kind of like went to go squish it. Right. And so I hit it against the wall and I pull it back and I look and I realize like maybe I got some of its legs but it's still alive and it's like just spinning a web. It's doing uh-huh. something, right? So I stick it underneath 
the shower and let the water. I'm like, I'm going to let the water do the rest of this work. Oh, it's still on the bottle. On the bottle. I see. It's on the bottle. It's like trying to spin its web. It's still alive. And uh, I stick underneath the water, right? And the water uh, washes off the bottle and, it, and it's now in the tub, right? I'm standing above it. I don't know if it's just the adrenaline or whatever. But I start urinating uh-huh. in, the, in the shower, right? Uh-huh. And I end up pissing on this spider. <laughs> As it goes down a drain. And I, after that, like, turned around, started my shower. Like, nothing. nothing. I was like, I just, like, tried to murder another living thing. Mm. Figured, I'm going to wash this thing down to a sewer and let the sewer handle it. Then I pissed on it Uh as it was still alive and going on its way to a sewer. And I was like. That's life right there. And does it make it better or worse that the peeing on the spider was like incidental? It wasn't even like, it wasn't even like nefarious. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. It, <laughs> so it, it was, like, yeah, so it wasn't like I was standing over it like, yeah, now, now take this, you stupid right. spider. Uh, but the fact that it happened and then I literally right. want, like, just turned around to continue on with my life with not even a thought. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even going to think about it. That gave me pause to be like, what kind of a monster? You know, uh-huh. I don't care if it's a spider. Right. It, it was a live, like an insect, right? Like I'm not going to get all like PETA about this thing. Like, you know what I mean? But at the same time, maybe I could have, I don't know, gave a little Given more thought little funeral? to, yeah, to just <laughs> kind of, Sending it off in a little better way than what I did. Sure. Um, you mean just killed it outright instead of torturing it by flushing it down a shower drain and then speeding it along its way with a little bit of urine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's yeah, just maybe. monstrous. Yeah, maybe. I mean, as someone who has beat a baby bunny to death with ta- with a tire iron <laughs> i can tell you that it doesn't feel <laughs> much better <laughs> but i also had a similar uh just quick anecdotal experience that i w- was going to ask you about not on the podcast but the other day i was trying to clean the area in between the refrigerator and our counter mm-hmm. like a bunch of crumbs have fallen down so I take the vacuum cleaner attachment back there, and when I shine the light back there, I see there's giant daddy long legs in the back that's mm-hmm. built this big web. And so I'm like, well, this guy's got to go. And so I bring the vacuum up to it, and there's like the split second that you get right before it gets sucked up where it freaks out. Yeah. And then it's just, it's gone. And that moment, I was like, I felt pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, think about it. Think about what, it's, what it is experiencing after that moment. It had some agency, yeah. right? Now it's somebody's aware of... It knew something really bad was about to really happen. Really bad was about second. to happen. Now it's happened. It's not in a place where it can get food. Now it's just going to slowly die. Right, yeah. If that force suctioning force doesn't kill it it's just trapped in a vacuum for 
However long it takes for a spider to die instead right. of a vacuum canister. <laughs> yeah, and who freaking cares how long? Because right. I'm not a spider, and I don't, I don't care, and I don't like them. Sure. You know? And, and the other thing, too, is I, I imagine, like, what other spiders is that spider running into down in the sewer? Like, there's no guarantee <laughs> they died on that journey. I don't know sure. what it can do, but it wouldn't surprise me if it could survive a trip through the pipes. And then when it gets down to the bottom... Is there just like a grizzled old like three-legged spider mm-hmm. that's like, oh, yeah, I can. They pissed on you too, huh? Just didn't even care. <laughs> yeah. Didn't give us the dignity of a swift death. They yeah. just uh, wanted to be rid of us. And, uh, you know, the other thing too is like, you know, people make the case that like spiders actually help a lot. I'd rather yes. have a spider be alive than a mosquito. I, exactly. I have to remind myself every single day I walk in and out of this front door when I see like three or four spiders hanging around outside that if I were to go out there and knock them down with a broom, I've got 50 mosquitoes around that stupid light. Mm-hmm. Every single day I have to tell myself that because I see those spiders and I'm like, man, I just want to get rid of all this. But if you do, then you've got all these flying bugs around. Yep. So, yeah, I, for the most part, I think that's probably like a consciousness of the modern man thing, right? Mm. Like that we that's that's something that we think about even slightly. Listen, I, I will still like I will just slaughter an entire colony of ants and I don't care how they go down. Like no death is too horrific for an ant. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'll stand by that. Yeah. But there's something about that spider. I don't know if it was just like. Because I saw it too when it was at the bottom, like when it was getting washed away. <laughs> trying to climb its just way trying back to, out. Yeah, just trying to be like, what is going on? How did, how did this happen? What, two seconds ago, I was in, in a nice corner. I was sure. going to start spinning my beautiful web, and yeah. here I am. And then it gets hit with some extra, you know, liquid. And it's right. like, what is this? Yeah. This is terrible. And I'm just above it. Like, what, you know, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I do want to say that the bunny thing was a merciful situation. I am not some crazy animal slaughtering serial killer. Mm -hmm. It was an act of mercy. But it still felt, still feels really bad. Does the term serial killer apply to people murdering outside of humans? I don't know. I mean, I guess so. There's nothing human in the dis- distinctly human in the title right just you're I know, killing I, I, something serially yeah I, I don't know i guess i feel like in its application it's it's used solely for people who murder other people sure did you um listen to the trailer for the new season of serial i did what'd you think of that um i i was kind of like Okay, I don't know. I I guess I like their idea, mm-hmm. um, but that first case, I I think they just tried to fit too much in. I was like, I hope they don't treat all the cases like this, which is like this brief. Well, yeah, like it was brief, and it was like, and you know, did he do it? And is he whatever? And it's like, then I heard from one person, and I was like, uh-huh. no, he did it. And then his alibi didn't make any sense. I was like, oh, he definitely well, did Well, no, it was a recording like, of him being like with the other guy in jail. He's like, hey, they're, we did it. They're going to figure us out. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's oh, pretty yeah, definitive. Was, well, you know, I guess, I guess, I kind of that that kind of goes to show you. Like, I, I listened. I was excited as soon as it was posted. I obviously didn't retain a lot. Yeah, it just happened very fast. Sure. And so I don't know. I I wonder if they will be like quick like that. Like, will every episode just be another case? Or yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see the structure, but. I guess I like, again, the fact that they're going after a system, which is kind of what I'm on about now. <laughs> give, me, give me attacks and reforms on the system, not the right. symptom, you know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought it sounded good or interesting. Yep. And that's our transition burp. <laughs> Um, I wanted to mention really quick, it's alive. Yeah. Um, YouTube show from Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit, and it's kind of Brad a guy. Leone. Yeah, and it's kind of a guy who deals with, um, fermented things. Right. So he, yeah. So it's a cooking show, obviously, but his whole slant is like, like you said, like fermentation, or kind of like obviously like living things it's called it's like things that have like involve like chemical reactions basically his other slant is watch somebody who could not be in a better job suited for them right who just loves life and watch him just have a great time for as long as he's doing this video yeah and well and the thing is too is like his his it's gr- he's great for it because he has like a like buffoonish personality or like way about him, but he is obviously very very smart mm-hmm. and knows like what he's doing, and he just loves to like experiment. And I told you when I introduced you to it that like I don't know if I've ever actually seen him make something that I was make. interested in eating or yeah. wanted to make, but he's got such a great personality the whole setup is so good that i watch all the episodes i mean the other thing too is his cameraman Vinny vincenzo mm-hmm. uh who he just he'll call out every you know 45 seconds right. um that guy's super talented yeah and so like <clears throat> he's also thinking like last night we watched their double episode where he goes to alaska mm-hmm. and like it's hilarious the cuts and to and to think that Vinny thought, oh, for this, it would be great to go wide. So let's right. walk out in the snow. Let's frame him against this background. And then he's just going to like kind of turn, say something to the camera, make a motion towards the mountains and take a swig of his beer. Right. And that will look great. Like, that's great. Yeah. And he's right every time. Like, yeah. so he's not just like capturing uh, Brad. He, he's making decisions. and. He's just throwing stuff in like uh, water uh, whenever right. he pronounces a word funny. He's throwing that there on the screen. Mm-hmm. He's throwing some other stuff to make it funny. Like the, vi- the, the whole production is fantastic. Yeah. I recommended to somebody on the, um, at work and pulled up his YouTube page. And I noticed this last night when Elise and I were watching some videos. I was like, Holy crap, he, like his videos are over a million views. Yeah. And he has like millions of followers. Yeah, they've gotten a well, he's a part of the Bon Appetit channel. 
Right. And they've, yeah, they've gotten, I don't know if, if they've gotten like more, well, obviously you, that's the nature to get more and more popular over time, but we've only been watching their videos for maybe like six months to a year. I'm not really sure. It's just, is one of those channels you come across, like mm-hmm. the more food stuff you start to watch. But yeah, they definitely get a lot of views at this point. Yeah. And so I was like, because when I first, when you showed it to me, I had no idea it existed. I felt like, oh, this is a really niche, amazing mm-hmm. program. Yeah. But then I was like, Crap, a million views. Yeah. I'm the late one here. Like, right. I'm not revealing this to anybody. Yeah. Although I have been. I've been trying to convert everybody. Because it's just, it's just like, there's not a more delightful experience yeah. you're going to encounter. It's very good natured. Oh, it's a short, great, short, great natured. Like, you, you can't watch just encouraging. one. Encouraging. Very encouraging. It, yeah. It's exactly what I need. I'm I'm reading the Chapo Guide to Revolution book, and I need this. I do like interrupt my reading with like, give me give me an episode of Is Alive, right. and then I'll read this next chapter. So yeah, see, I can't even get away from it then because most of the time I'm like watching it and thinking to myself, I know that these, at best, these people's political views are kind of dumb, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's probably the cynic in me more than anything. Yeah, you never know. You never know. The fall movie season is upon us. And for everybody who knows, uh, who has their finger anywhere near the pulse of of culture Mm -hmm. they know that fall movies are prestige movies award season award season these are the films from filmmakers that have established themselves for uh one reason or another whether earned or not uh as kind of the best that we have working today Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to kind of quickly ask you, um, do you have any expectations for fall award season films? Nope. Is there any appeal to you hearing that more conventionally celebrated filmmakers have films coming out? No. Okay. So is all film just a swarming mass of content that you get to like reach in and pluck out and whatever comes out, you're like, I guess I'm watching this thing. And your expectations are the same in terms of like, I'm either going to be challenged or entertained or confused or bored, but whether it's summer blockbusters, whether it's early year dump, season or fall prestige your expectations are the same reaching into that again well, i mean obviously there's mass. a part of that that's very arbitrary right like a best picture can come out in february it doesn't have to come out in uh, september right, but it's like seasons december. it's like you can yeah, even have a strawberry but it's at very point. arbitrary yeah yeah like yeah you can have a strawberry at any point but if you get strawberries during strawberry season, 
there's a better chance that that's going to yeah, be a better strawberry. Yeah, but that's scientifically, like, that's science. That's like farming. Yeah, this, this is, is just culture science. completely arbitrary, like, deciding when we we're going to release a movie. There's nothing about a movie getting released in October that objectively makes that movie better than a movie that's released in well, February. I mean, the, the only thing, no, 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 there, there's not, but all the intention, all the marketing, like there are people who make way better livings than I'm ever going to make, whose job is to literally like look at a year calendar and look at the slate of films that their company is producing and then structure that calendar accordingly based on what they want to have happen. And so all of that impetus is the only thing that tips the scales. I will agree with you that a film coming out in January, February has as equal a shot as being good as anything else. Get Out was, I think, February mm-hmm. release. It was early in the year. And that was one of my favorite films of that whole year. So, you know, obviously you're right. But traditionally, marketing and all that stuff, this is the season where all the money, all the marketing, all the push is giving these films a little extra boost as being quote unquote important. Sure. As arbitrary as that is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, f- I follow the movie industry and movie releases so uh, distantly that I. Right. I'm, that, that's what I'm trying to get it a sense. Has like, no again, effect whatsoever. The picture that I have in my mind of you is that. In a corner, there's just a pulsating kind of mass, and that is that those are films for you, yeah. And there's I mean, no distinction there, you're just gonna reach in and grab one of those crawling, wiggling, but at this things. point, I don't even I don't even reach in, I have to bring it to you, exactly. Or like something extraordinary has to happen, there has to be some news article written, or something has to, um. I have to stumble across something because we don't put Netflix on and pick a movie to watch off Netflix. We don't seek anything out really. And the movies we see in the theater are more based on whenever someone can watch the girls overnight and we have a night to go to the movies than anything else. Yeah. So, where where do you get your kind of um you're already shaking no your idea head. reddit <laughs> news feeds youtube trending videos like i i don't ever purposefully be like hey let me go see what the movie news is today yeah i guess i just feel like for me and and this is something that I, that it's hard for me to um to understand about other people. And I, I realize that I'm the odd person out in all this. But like, I feel like we all need some like cultural code uh, breaker. What's the, what, what, what term am I looking for where it's, it's a, like a system that you can use to decode a, a cipher or uh, like a message? I think cipher is it. Ciphers, okay. So, you know, for for me, again, like, I use film as a way to help understand my world. Mm -hmm. But 
for you, you know, and, and use my and, brain to understand the word. Okay? Yeah. But I just feel like if, if that's all I had, then I would be hopelessly lost and overwhelmed by everything that's happening mm-hmm. to me. Um, and again, I think that some people it's like their, their cipher is like going on hikes and bike riding or whatever, like just something to do to engage and then make sense of the world. Um, for me, like it has to be art. Like I don't imagine how, well, you know, I take that back because I, I, we've talked about this. I remember like my grandfather, um, you know, just sitting out on a porch and just sitting there and he didn't need music. He didn't need a book. Right. He just needed a sunset. And I was like, you know, there's wisdom there. There's deep, deep wisdom. Mm-hmm. And as I go, I realized that's not true. Right. You know, some people. Grandpa's probably a little <laughs> bit of a racist. Somebody, <laughs> you can sit there and watch the sunset a million times over right. and never have a kind of complex or nuanced thought get handed to you by the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like, I feel like again, like we, we need some system. For, for me, like it's art, it's films. Th- what energizes me is a film that is challenging some aspect of the culture or representing some aspect of the culture that I can't readily access. And it's like, I'm hungry for that stuff. Like that is the stuff that excites me that I, that I want to seek out. But like for, for people who are more passive, and again, I understand that this is not, a, that I'm not objective, uh, objectively right here. But for the people who are more passive about things, yeah, you know, I'll, uh, I will browse Netflix for whatever. And uh, did you know Van Damme is still making movies? And then in the next breath, they'll be like, why are movies these days so bad? And it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, why are you just, I'm not watching the Van Damme movies. Like, I like movies. <laughs> right. Like, doesn't mean that, that you have to watch whatever's on Netflix. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And then you can't complain about it. Um, but like, so do, do you have that conception of the world as well, where it's like, yeah, I have music that I engage that way. Is there anything that you engage that like you would say works as like a cipher for the culture or the universe or whatever? Well, I'd say it's probably just podcasts. That's how I get it. Is by listening to people smarter than me because I I I'm not smart enough to figure out the metaphor and to pull back the layers. I need someone to tell me pretty much exactly what to think. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just listen to a podcast. Uh, And that's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't know, man. I I feel like, you know, even from the moment I met you, I was like, this guy is a, uh, he's an original thinker. You know, I was like, this guy doesn't go along with uh, all the other fish in the stream here. Um, see, I just find one fish to go along with and so you're, I just, you're just like, follow those, that one as closely as possible. Where are those fish that <laughs> latch on the sharks? You're, yeah. One of those pilot fish? Sure. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I, cause I don't know, man, I feel like, you know, when you recommend something, there's usually something interesting about it. And the, the films that we have connected on, I think are more like interesting films, Enemy by Denis Villeneuve. Sure. Right? Like that is not a traditional like film. 
a lot of the films that you like are like slower. Uh, you know, the assassination of Jesse James. Um, you know, th- these movies, there will be blood, no country for all men. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's the, I think the point is that those movies are by definition, like few and far between like very thoughtful, very involved movies. I'm not necessarily going to watch a movie just purely for entertainment. Like if I just want to be entertained, if I just want to do something mindless for two hours, I will play a video game. Mm. That's, that's what I would rather do that more than anything. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about just entertainment. See, like right now, so the Venice Film Festival just finished. Tell You Ride, I think, is going on. And then the Toronto Film Festival is starting um, tomorrow. It is my, on my bucket list to attend a film festival. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I want to attend a film festival is because when I hear people talking about these films, they, what excites me are, it is the challenge inherent in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> of making all the movies and all that? No, no, no. Of the movies themselves. Like, uh-huh. like what oh, I like I is like, this movie was booed and people walked right. out. It's like, okay, that's where I want to be. Like, I want to be in that room. Like, I want to be there when like Mother first premieres and be one of the first people to see it and to wrestle with it and to think about it, you know? Because one of the issues is like by the time I get to see movies in the Virginia Beach market, it's, you know, sometimes I'm getting to it late, you know? Right. Everybody's already thought about it. Yeah. And it's like, to me, a good film is like another piece of the puzzle. It's like slotting something else in where I can identify something in myself or something that I have been curious about or to ask a question I never thought to ask before. You know? Yeah. And like that is exciting. Like that conversation, that experience. And so like I also go to films for entertainment, but I think I more look for films to like challenge me or open up my experience in some way. I think that to me is like what I look for in quote unquote like prestige films, Mm -hmm. which in terms of marketing and funding, you know, again, if we have like a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I think traditionally that those would come like in the fall and any Paul Thomas Anderson film I'm, I'm right there for, you know? Yeah. Cause that's going to be a little, that's going to be tackling something, mm. something interesting. Um, and so in the, in the spate of 2018 fall films, and this is by no means exhaustive, uh, I kind of wanted to go through them very quickly. Okay. And get your, uh, and get your quick perspective or maybe talk a little bit about, what uh what i might be looking forward to mm-hmm. uh in the film so um out of this list are there any films that you already know about having not followed uh the the, the film news cycle are there films that you already know about or have heard about or have some conception of what they're about so predator obviously which looks bad <laughs> Oh, there's a new trailer. It looks good. Oh, does it? Okay. Well, I haven't seen the new trailer. I saw the old trailer that looked bad. The old trailer looks bad. The new trailer looks fun. 
uh, and the house with the clock in its walls. Right. And that's it. Um, and that one, we, we both agreed. Number it one. It looks terrifying. And it's made by. Um, Eli Roth. Is it made by Eli Roth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hate his stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like one of those films that is like, is this for kids or for adults? Yeah. Or is this one of those things like sometimes I think people are like, oh, kids can handle more than you think. Right. We just watched the old uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. And um, you see a chicken gets head cut off. And what I realized watching it really? is. really? I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah, through their, um, through their uh, tunnel okay. journey. And what I realized is that is a lie that we told ourselves to excuse that image. Uh-huh. That is not okay for a kid to see. That is traumatizing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, yeah, but, uh, well, I mean, I'll say this. The, the girls have watched everything I've thrown at them. They watched Willy Wonka. I don't even remember a chicken getting its head cut off. Hey, because you don't watch with your kids. <laughs> That's been well established. They watch Spirited Away, which I was scared of when I was like 21 watching that movie. <laughs> and they've had, they have not balked at anything, but then, but they are legit scared of a uh, clock in the walls. Like, I'm like, do you want to see them? They're like, nope, that looks scary. So, um, I like, I, I know that you're not doing this, but I like to imagine that this is like a challenge. <laughs> We're like, oh, oh, that wasn't scary. You weren't scared by Spirit Away. This movie's called Alien, okay? <laughs> and you're watching this whole thing. Um, so, so that's it out of this whole list. I mean, I know that there are some that, you're, that, that you do know about. I mean, maybe if you... Oh, no, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Marwin looks dumb. Bohemian Rhapsody looks dumb. Welcome to Marwin. That's based on the documentary, uh, Welcome to Marwin. Yes, exactly. Which brings me to a point I would like mm-hmm. to put out into the world. Please. You, we do not need m- movie remakes of a documentary. Let the documentary be. It, it, now, you like the documentary. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen the documentary. Oh. It's a great documentary. I will second what you say. And I will also say, if it's a great documentary, what else do we right. need? Let it be, right? Yeah. What What was the um the tightrope movie and documentary? Yeah, um, that's a perfect example. Right. So, well, you know, it's funny. I bet you don't know this. Um, Robert Zemeckis did both of those. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Robert Zemeckis is doing this one. Yeah. And he also did the one with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. Um, based on the um, on the documentary that is fantastic. I'm also blanking on, but I feel like as people argue against kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like selfish productions where it's like, you're just making this for yourself. You're not really making this for, for anybody else. Robert Zemeckis's fictionalization of these great documentaries is like a prime example. Like I want to, I, I kind of feel like, and I'm reserving I will still watch Welcome to Marwin probably mm-hmm. with an open mind for it to being a good film. But I want to be like, okay, Zemeckis, so basically what you're telling us is this documentary engaged your imagination. Right. Yep. C- congratulate. Like, yeah. okay, it did, it did me too. Right. But then I didn't go out and make a film right. about like, hey, this is how I saw the documentary. Yeah. You know? I don't need your version yeah. of this thing. 
So anyway, uh, like I said, Bohemian Rhapsody looks bad, right? You agree? Uh, yeah, no, I, I do not think that's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, and then Holmes and Watson is the Sherlock Holmes movie with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Yep. I've seen a poster for that, but that's it. Um, so first man, uh, huh. that's the, um, uh, Neil Armstrong biopic. Oh, oh, okay. With, uh, right. Damien Chazelle. So is that a musical or it's just no. is a straightforward, <laughs> straightforward movie? Yeah. Somebody can make one musical and then not make a musical. <laughs> Wait, this wasn't his first movie and also a musical. Um, I, I mean, I thought his first two movies, I thought the movie he did before he did a short, this kind of a musical, then there's Whiplash. Okay. And there's, uh, which, and Whiplash is great and has music elements. And then La La Land, which is a musical and this, which is a, a biopic. Okay. Um, I don't want to mention the reviews these are getting, uh, because we still, you need to finalize your right. fall yeah, movie I'll wager. This, I'll try and do that this weekend. Uh, yeah. And I'm extending it cause I know how blind you are to the film news. So I would actually feel comfortable like going pretty much like midway through the fall for you to <laughs> finalize your, your, your list. Uh-huh. Cause I, I know you probably are not checking. Right. Um, but that's premiered a uh, beautiful boy. Oh, first man has already come out. It's played at festivals. Okay. Uh, Beautiful Boy. Oh, look, I'm sure people love that movie, of course. Beautiful Boy sounds like, uh, and maybe it's just because of the similarity in titles, but Beautiful Boy, just by title alone, sounds like a uh, like straight-to-DVD Tyrese movie, <laughs> right? Um, this is a uh, Steve Carell vehicle um, okay. as he moves. He's also in Mar- Marwin. Welcome to Marwin, yeah. Um. Yeah, he's he's really kind of moving. You can see into like prestige. This is I'm a serious actor. Exactly. This is truly his like I'm not Michael Scott anymore. Right. Um, but but he's kind of coming back. Like I feel like when he first went off, he did like Foxcatcher, which is mm-hmm. like this is what again. I can but again, do just watch the documentary. Right. I'm with you on that too. Um, and hey, so what's it with maybe Steve Carell's the issue here. Right? Not Robert Zemeckis. Right? Yeah, take an original film. No, he, I, I think that he has the dramatic chops. Sure. Um, but, uh, so yeah, this is about, it's based on a memoir. You know, it's interesting. Like, he's either in something that's based on a documentary or based on, like, a memoir. Yeah. And it's already been documented before. Mm-hmm. But of a father and a son who the son gets caught up in drug addiction and their relationship through that. So it seems like a terrifying um, story of of, uh, parenthood. Sure. Something I hope to never have to face. Um, Creed 2. Uh-huh. Did you see Creed 1? No. Not Creed 1, Creed. Creed. Um, Yeah, Creed was better than it had any right to be. Right. Critics love that, right? Yeah. And is this made by the same guy? No. Mm. Different director, uh, same actor. Right. And it seems to be more of like a straight, like Rocky 2 sequel. Seems like they're really following, like now he's fighting uh, Drago's son or whatever okay. his name is. Dra- Drago? I couldn't tell Dragon? you. Dragon? 
Anyway. I've never seen the Rocky movies. What? Yeah. Not a, not a single scene. Well, I'm sure I've seen a scene, but. Right. <laughs> Good for you. Um, all right. Moving uh, quicker. The favorite, which is um, Yorgos Lanthimos's new film. And he was the director who I said is making films most like um, the writings of um, Saunders. Okay. Oh, this is the lobster guy? The lobster. Uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer, deer which feels yeah, very that, is that on Saunders-y. Ne- oh. Is that on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Is that the movie about the kid that gets shot? No. Um, there is what was the name of that shootings, movie? <laughs> but it's not. It's yeah. I think you're getting confused. But Killing of a Sacred Deer is like really like arch. Mm, feels a little Kubrickian in terms of like the framing. Like it's just very stark mm-hmm. images, and people speak in very like staccato. Okay ways so it's in that way it's very saundersy like it feels like a mirrored universe of ours but kind of like a nightmare universe Mm -hmm. um and very like absurd he he does these like absurd films but they're dark they're very dark and killing of a sacred deer super dark but again feels very george george saunders so i was kind of interested in your your take the favorite seems to be him going more light um it's like a period piece of like a, a queen going mad and two women like vying for her favor okay. as she goes mad. Um, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say with absolutely no examples or backing up whatsoever. I don't like stories about female characters told and made by men. Period? Period. I mean, I'm going to let you say that because I feel like we could pick that apart, but why bother? I'm just going to let that stand. It's just the declaration I'm making right. after hearing your description of the favorite. I mean, what's your, what's your feeling of a director's um, influence over a film over the writer's? Like... Yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like your well, I mean, issue obviously is- the director is not just an empty shell putting the script on the screen. Like he brings his very own vision to it. Yeah, but I feel like if, you, if you're talking about perspective, I feel like something written by a woman. Sure, but just then, just do it and get a woman to direct the movie. Yeah, I mean, we need to see it. If you see his films, I think you would understand. Like he is a very particular film. Like I could see why if somebody has an idea for a film, they're like, we need this guy to do it because Mm -hmm. he doesn't just, you know, I'll say if we're like taking odds on it, I, my, my bet is going to be that or it's going to be on bad, bad, bad. That movie is going to be bad. No, no. If a, if we're putting odds on a male, director making a movie about females generally i'm taking the odds on it being bad that's what i'll say so <laughs> what is silence of the lambs about a female character uh, sure i guess well there you go isn't she kind of Jonathan like Demi. androgynous though 
Isn't that like, no, like she's, she's handled in a very like clinical sense. I feel like I haven't seen science of the lamb in decades. Probably. Okay. We're going to circle back on that for our next topic. Uh, I'm just going to pick out the few that uh, interest me from here. Okay. Um, Suspiria. Nope. Suspiria sounds like suburbia. (laughs) (laughs) What's the disturbia? (laughs) That's what it reminds me of. (laughs) Uh, Suspiria is a remake of a 1960s Italian giallo film. Okay. um, Which is like heightened horror. Disturbia is a remake of a 1960s. Horror Alfred Hitchcock movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. What's the movie of the guy watching the other guy from the window? Your window, but okay, it's it doesn't track. That's what Disturbia is, though. It's a remake of that. No, it's not a remake. It's like inspired. It's more like same thing. Same thing. Same thing. It's the same thing. No. Um. So this is from the director of Call Me by Your Name. Um, a film that okay. I really enjoyed. Yeah. And, um, this is his only other movie. This is, no, no, no. He's done. He's done a lot. I've, I've actually seen most of his films. I, I actually don't like his older stuff. Okay. He works a lot with Tilda Swinton. Okay. Um, I will say I'm interested after we're done recording, I want you to watch the trailer for Suspiria. It is definitely a film that like, uh, unsettles me. It makes me very like just unsell the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's captured the look of like the '60s film in a very interesting way. Okay, which I think I think horror older horror films are more kind of visceral for me, uh, because of that because they have that kind of you can see the film they have that kind of like tangible feeling and they're not like slick digital productions which sometimes can can give you a remove from it which is kind of how I feel about Hereditary which was scary. But if you if Hereditary was made back in like the seventies, mm-hmm. I think it would be like one of the t- most terrifying films ever made. Yeah. Um, Bad Times at the El Royale is the new film by Drew Goddard, who did Cabin in the Woods. All right. And it's like a new kind of like genre mashup. Looks kind of like um, uh, the Hateful Eight almost, where it's like one location, all these characters are coming to to that one location, and then violence and stuff is happening in that location mm-hmm. uh, and people have secrets from each other and all this. Um, again, I think a really good trailer, the girl in the spider web. Uh, that is like, it should be the, the um, sequel to David Fincher. Um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. But David Fincher isn't doing it. And they got new uh, Lisbeth Salander. Um, but I'm still interested in this one. I'm interested to see what they do with it. Uh, I read the books. Uh huh. And I, I really like the Fincher film. Right. Have you seen the Fincher film? No. The um, Dragon Tattoo? Yeah. No. Um, will you watch Dragon Tattoo? No. It's like, uh, it's like goth stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, no. It, oh, it well, is. Listen, that, I listen, mean, no. Is I guess, yes. I guess it falls into your, your, your <laughs> theory of male directors right, yeah. directing female It didn't stories. get good reviews, though, got, did it? Yeah, it got pretty good reviews. And I'm telling you, sitting across the table from me telling you, it is a good film. It is yeah. legitimately good. But she's like a female with like a bunch of piercings and tattoos stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Like, very so, judgmental. Like, industrial. You're saying that, hey, you're saying that well, very I'm judgmental. Just, I'm putting it on the table then. Um, the Little Stranger um, from the director of Room. Um, did you see Room? About the... You can go ahead and assume oh. any did you see is a no. <laughs> I didn't realize how bad that it was. That seems really... Honestly. Room seems really depressing too. That, oh. Room seems like one of those movies where it's like... By the time it's over, you're like, okay, this movie's good, but I, I have no desire to right, ever watch, watch it. Yeah, again. watch again. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as I think I first thought it would be, and mm-hmm. it is really well made. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really liked it. Um, this is a horror film, and I read the book, uh, because I saw this was coming out, and sometimes when I'm like, what book should I read? I'll just see like, oh, what film is coming out? I kind of want to compare. Mm-hmm. So I got that an audible listen to the book and it made me feel like, again, I feel like this happens more in horror movies than anything else. I felt like the person writing the book hates horror books, like <laughs> hates horror stories. And I, and my fear was that, you know, the, the director of this in a, in a interview would be like, yeah, I don't really like horror movies. Uh, really, for me, this is a character study of, you know? Mm-hmm. And then what you always get with that then is walk up to the line of, like, what's scary and then pull back. Because, again, this isn't a horror movie. This is more of a character study mm-hmm. of whatever. Mm-hmm. So the book really does that. The book doesn't really worry about scaring you. It just ends up being, like, but about midway through the book, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and get on this book's wavelength and be like, maybe it's just a character study of two people who can't be together, mm-hmm. right? For they, they don't gel or whatever. Um, I, uh, maybe a story of isolation. But again, I just got to the end. I was like, why not just write your story then about an isolated person? Why, why would you need to head fake like it's a horror story and then not have it be scary? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that to me like really frustrates me about the horror genre is I think a lot of people try and co-opt it and they see it as a broad canvas, which I think it is, but instead they're like, yeah, I just wanted to use horror as the backdrop Mm -hmm. to really enhance these characters' feelings of dread or whatever. And it's like, okay, well then, you know, just make a boring three-hour drama then, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Don't put them in a in a haunted house and this never show the monster or whatever. Yeah. Um, because see the monster was alcoholism. So, you know, (laughs) unless you're going to do like the Babadook, which again, I'm like, yeah, make it scary. So, um, the little stranger, the book made me feel that way. I'm hoping that the film surprises me. Um, the nun, I thought was funny. Did you hear about the, uh, the marketing that they had to pull back on? Uh -uh. It was like, an ad where like the nun who's the horror figure of the movie like jumps out at the screen and it was causing people to like <laughs> fall over and like smash uh-huh. their screens and stuff like that. So they had to like stop doing the jump scare uh-huh. marketing, which does make you feel like, yeah, why would you like, isn't that already outlawed? Like, <laughs> can we do that? Like legally? Uh-huh. Um, oh, that was funny. Um, I mean, that, that, that's pretty much it. Um, the old man and the gun is the new film by David Lowry. Um, and I've liked all this stuff. Okay. Um, he made a ghost story last year. 
talking about oh, a movie where uh, is it Rooney Mara wears a you sheet don't. over her head the whole time? No, no, <laughs> Casey Affleck. <laughs> Casey Affleck wears the sheet. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. I knew somebody wore it. Yeah, and it's a really great movie. Um, and it actually goes against my point because it it's called a ghost story and it's not scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's really great. Old Man and the Gun, Robert Redford. Apparently, his last film. Oh, okay. Um, Sissy Spacek is in it as well. And uh, he's trying to make like a throwback 70s mm. kind of film. Um, I'm, I'm super excited for it because he's proven that he's good. So, I mean, even on movies where I'm like, this, The Old Man, The Gun, if you watch a trailer, it's like, well, it's fine. Mm. I know that he, he's going to be doing something mm. interesting with it. So. What is uh, Robert Redford wearing over his head the entire time? Yeah, it's a it's a picnic tablecloth. <laughs> okay. They give he makes it in a bandana. Sure. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, running a little long, right? What time is it? Yeah. Uh, we're about an hour and 15 minutes in. Okay, I'm going to save the minimalism conversation okay. for next week. Um, I guess we can just really quickly say I am done with this whole... Listen, good on Nike for doing an ad with Colin Kaepernick. Sure. Again, they would not do it if right. it really threatened their bottom line. Right. And I'm tired of this. I saw some people who I follow on Twitter who I like and, and they're, they're, they're writers and journalists of some sort. And they're like saying a version of the insane, but a version of like restores your faith in mm-hmm. corporations or whatever. Right. And you're like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And um, I wasn't going to say anything, but then I saw this tweet by Tom Sharpling. He said, what a great situation. Basically coming down to the NFL versus Nike. Two corporations that make a point of treating humans like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah. Nike treats people like garbage. Yeah. But hey, they, uh, they put Colin Kaepernick in an ad. And honestly, again, good for them, right? Uh, now stop using basically slave labor. <laughs> yeah right but yeah right but also like all of the people who are like praising them need to realize that like even being done with the best intentions doesn't do anything what does it matter right like you then buying more nike stuff doesn't do anything like it's all meaningless yeah the, it's all a marketing push the only thing that i will give to nike is all the posts that people have put of like legitimate people, like somebody uh, shared a post of a guy giving his Nikes the middle finger. Right. And it's like, right. Thank you. You know, that's right. the only good thing that you've done is you've made this guy get so angry that he gave his shoes the middle finger as if that, right. as if that means anything. That's the best, the best it. thing to come out of it is that they're now making these dummies on the right burn their Nike stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. And like, and like it's another guy and like this guy's serious is like, hang me by the neck till I'm dead. If you see me by night. Right. Like, um, finally, this got me very angry today. 
Okay. I don't know if you saw this. I didn't. This was added to the sheet after I looked at it. So here's a new segment called I Hate This. Okay. And it's, I guess we can bring one thing that we hate. And I'm bringing this New York Times op-ed. Have you seen this? I think I saw. Is this the op-ed that was written where they're like, I work in the administration and I'm part of the resistance? Yeah. Yeah. I saw saw it uh, on Reddit. Uh, I just saw the headline. And I and I read the I read the comments and the best part is the comments are full chocked full of the like quoting something from the thing from the guy's op ed and then being like how dare you sir you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> if you really cared about this country <laughs> so here's here here I'll I'll read this quote that that they pulled from it I didn't make it through this whole dumb thing uh and then i did a little screed on facebook that you know i I think says also i'll just i I just want to share with you and then move on but but this made me very upset um number one because i think it is exposing how stupid everybody is like the new york times journalism Mm. the standard bearer of truth and whatever is like seeing this op-ed as viable print material. Well, that's the thing too. It's the same thing with the Nike campaign. It's like, yes, yeah, sure, the Colin Kaepernick thing is is good. I, I have no problem with that. I think that's a good move. I can also understand that it's that it's purely a marketing ploy, right? Uh. I think in a vacuum, that on its own is a great thing, right? But obviously, you can't divorce that from it just being a marketing ploy. And like you said, if it were truly something that hurt their bottom line, it would not be something they, were, they would do. Uh, and it's, this, it's the same thing with the New York Times. Like The New York Times can do good stuff, but they are also, I mean, and every major publication is the same way. Their op-ed section is full of garbage, just straight trash. And that's, I mean, I guess that's kind of the point of an op-ed section, but <laughs> I mean, I, I have less of an issue with this than I would with where they're like posting like the, um, some of the more like, uh, the alt-right stuff that they have in their op-ed section. Like, like those, the alt-right sympathizing the Barry, Barry writers. Weiss. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. So, <clears throat> she's in bed. What? She was, like, sleepwalking or something. I'm not sure. No. So, what I pulled was, uh, this is from the article. Many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worse inclinations. I would know. I am one of them. To be clear, ours is not the popular resistance of the left. Right. We want the administration to succeed. Exactly. And think that many of its policies have already made America safer and more prosperous. Exactly. You are a shill right. of the administration. You are not 
any part of the resistance at all. Yeah. Like this is a hopeless attempt to clear your conscience, to try and declare yourself as some kind of like victim really is what you're trying right. to do. I'm a victim of circumstance here. I'm just trying to enact policies that I believe in. And the fact that I'm next to this monster, you can't think that I too am a monster. At some point you have to be like, if your policies are being enacted by a lobotomized, just blob of flesh, you have right. to sit there and be like, what is wrong with the policies I want exactly. enacted? You know? Right. And that's, that's why I've been saying the Republican Party, the traditional Republican Party, however you want to frame it, they are just as disturbed or, you know, whatever you want to call it with Trump's behavior as everyone else is, but they love the policies. That's why they're putting up with it yeah. because they can ramrod through all these terrible policies that they know are terrible and that they know are unpopular. I'll take that back. Maybe they don't know. They're, maybe they think they're genuinely good, but they know that they're unpopular. And the reason that they will put up with Trump is because they believe they can get all of these policies through. These great the worst policies. versions of them, right, from my perspective. And then they can push all of that bad, all of the bad press about it on Trump. And they can wash their hands mm -hmm. clean of it because it was just Trump who was doing it. Meanwhile. They are now benefiting from 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 the from this terrible legislation. And that's yeah, that's what I saw on the Reddit post too. A lot of people were quoting that where it's like, I believe in these policies, blah, blah, blah. And it and it's like and the resistance stuff is is it's, garbage. It's, it's, it's baloney. It's it's literally just people who don't care about the policies at all, and they're upset at like the decorum of the whole thing, right? That's why they're getting in there and saying, How dare you, sir? <laughs> right, because they're just like upset that our president acts like an imbecile. All right, so here is so here's my because I know you're not on Facebook, so I wanted to bring you into my my social media world for a second. Here's here's my rant. Okay, uh, <clears throat> whoever wrote this needs to be banished to the same sad, irrelevant garbage pile Trump is sent to after his presidency. There are no heroes in the Trump administration. Many will look to redeem their image and jump ship only when the last rickety plank of their immoral barge is finally fully submerged. We should not normalize them or their ideas. We should not normalize their service. We should not celebrate their op-eds or treat the administration like a bad fever dream that people get to walk away from. Trump has revealed the whole thing is a circus. He is just the current buffoon occupying center ring. Show me the op-ed of the lobbyist who is working to sabotage the toxic corporate money flow being pumped into our political system. The true horror should be reserved for the system that allowed someone whose brain is as worm-eaten as Trump's to attain the highest office. The author of this pathetic attempt at self-absolution, this desperate flail to quiet the moral alarm, that is ringing in their head as they try to sleep at night, doesn't even identify themselves with the, quote, resistance. But I'll be damned if I don't see some people welcoming them in. They are, quote, resisting the wrong thing. It is not about Trump. It's about the game. The people who view politics as a sport or an investment 
We have normalized this system already. People end up just resisting the symptoms of the illness. And I think it's time that we start fighting the actual illness. And part of that, too, is the fact that people have already separated themselves into groups, right? You have the never Trumpers over here, got the resistance over here. You have the secret, you know, norm keepers within the administration fighting there, Mm -hmm. all working to do what? To get us over this blip, right? To help us weather this storm of Trump. But then after he's through, we'll be past it, right? Mm -hmm. Then the norms can come back in and all the adults can retake the room and we can settle. But they, they don't realize or they're not acknowledging that like the adults have had control of that room for the last two centuries plus, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones who allowed the system to happen this way. You know, if we just get back to the norms of before Trump, right? With Schumer and Pelosi mm-hmm. and McConnell and Graham, all like being allowed to squabble by their corporate overlords over the, the little meaningless cultural differences they have while also being funded by lining their pockets. Yeah, by, by lining their pockets and then being told, like, don't go here and don't go here. But yeah, you guys hash it out over the, you know, gay marriage, mm. or, you know, like really, really go to the mat on that one, you know? And then just like claim complete ignorance where it's like corporate money on NRA. Mm. What or you try guys? and disguise that as like a state's rights issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we don't know about. <coughs> Uh, lobbyists yeah. and like all government officials who go in there and like, I don't freaking know that guy. You know why? Cause he's not in there to do anything. Yeah. He's there to get that office and then quietly disappear after four years of enacting whatever policies he's told to vote for only to land a cushy, like corporate job, you know, getting six figures or more in some kind of corporate or, or a, a disgusting think tank, mm-hmm. you know? Or then to play out the rest of his time on public, you know, cable uh, or, you know, cable television. As a pundit, yeah. So it's like we we need to, like, not normalize this. Mm -hmm. And these op-eds normalize it. It distracts us to be like, yeah, resistance, bro. Mm -hmm. Freedom fight. And there there are people in there. Adults are going to take back the wheel. Mm. It's like, yeah, and continue driving us off this freaking cliff. Yeah, We've been exactly. headed to for, forever. Right. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's refocus. And the other thing that's so frustrating, I got into a debate today with some right-wing people. Um, and this guy was like, you know, us versus them, right? Left versus right. And, you know, the Democrats are the ones obstructing. I was like, hey, man. About a nuanced, you know, take. And he's like, I have a nuanced take when it calls for it. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, uh, how is this for nuance? Corporations, unfettered corporate interests would create a similar reality or worse than an unfettered government, you know, kind of control. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'd agree with that. I was like, okay. So corporate money is toxic to our political environment. Okay, I'd, I'd agree with that. Okay. There is nobody on the right, whether you go way to the middle right or as you get way further on the far right, Mm -hmm. who is 
distancing themselves from any corporate interests. Right. There's not one Republican conservative platform that is standing firmly against corporate interests. On the left, I can go far left, and the further left I get, the more I see people who are standing against corporate influence. Right. That is, that is a reality. Where's your nuanced take then on <laughs> right versus less, le- left, us versus them? Because we have now agreed on the true villain, right? right? Corporate interest, corporate money. I have to go to work. <laughs> that was his next post to me. I have to go to work. Uh-huh. And, and so I was like, exactly. Like these people just run from, they cannot accept it. Although they identify it. Mm-hmm. They agree to it. Yeah. Dude, you're right about this corporate money thing, man. Okay. So you want to talk about socialism? <gasps> My father fought in, mm-hmm. in World War II, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not disrespect his memory. Right. For, you know, it's like, I'm not disrespecting anyone's memory. But I'm saying, how can we combat this corporate influence, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's just sports. They've picked the side. It's just sports. That's it's it. sides. It's, it's, this is as viable a field as any to go in there and right. make your name and make money. And this is also like becoming a family business. Yeah. My father was a senator. Therefore, yeah. I'm carrying on the family yeah. name and but becoming yeah, a, like, a politician. The resistance doesn't care about the policies that Trump is pushing through. They care that like Trump is in the White House calling Jeff Sessions retarded. You know what I mean? Like that's what they're upset about. They're upset that he's not acting like as presidential as Obama acted. They don't care about like the well, at least this guy in the op like like the person that opted their example was like, oh. I these deregulations are great. Right? right. And it's like, wait a minute. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's like you are crazy. Right. You're just as crazy as Trump. Exactly. And and what this gave me a picture of is Trump getting impeached or whatever happens to him. And then the flood of op eds and all the publications that are going to hit publish on them. Mm. People are like, let me tell you what it's like for me. Every morning I'd go get my Starbucks and I'd come in and I'd say, what, what headache am I going to deal with today? Mm-hmm. And Trump is in there and he's saying our words and he's mm-hmm. being all on PC. And I cried in my office every day, you know? <laughs> and as people like welcome right. them back, like, oh, sweetie. Right. And if I hadn't taken that page and crumpled it up, who knows what country would have been blown up? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to victimize yourself. Or put yourself as a hero. Mm. You don't get to repair your image. Like you served under a a mindless, heartless, right. thoughtless, again, just like shell of a yeah. of a human in the shape of a human. You enabled that thing, you know. And now that you're like, oh, he's gone. Thank God. It's like, yeah, you weren't doing that when right. you were like pulling in whatever big salary you're pulling right. in. Let's get and back chucking to it up with your... some more nuclear waste into the rivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, Trump is is a total monster, but at least we got it okay for these companies to dump their waste back in those streams. Because right. where I mean, do you know how much money it was costing them to have to reroute it to a to a, a landfill? 
You know, we they, they can't make profit off of that. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. I didn't want to talk about politics. I'm glad we didn't. <laughs>